0: Welcome to Exploring Possibilities, a show about holistic spirituality. I'm your hostess, Cheryl Sitz. And if you're just finding our show, be sure to check out our website at JourneyOfPossibilities.com. You'll find a whole library of past guests, many, many interesting shows there. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you do listen there, do me a favor and rate us as well so that other people can find our show. And if you subscribe, then you'll never miss an episode. We'll be introducing today's guest right after a word from our
1: sponsors. Hi, this is Mario with Tech Life Balance, and I've been in the IT field for about 20 years. I have a big range of experience. I've worked with PCs, I've worked with servers, I've done online marketing strategies, I do websites, I even build online communities and help produce the podcast that you're listening to right now. I've actually been involved in IT so much that I got lost in all the technology, and technology was taking over me. And I'm not saying to unplug or anything like that. What I'm saying is find a balance. I know I did. It took a traumatic event for me to learn that capability, and it, it was a challenge. And there are obstacles, and there's things you run into that sometimes you don't realize you're even doing. So I designed a program to help you do that by looking at all your technologies and just helping you embrace it in a way that it's smooth into your life. And i like to say that we log in, log out, and break free so we can have a life. Contact us at techlifebalance.net and let us know what we can help you with. Enjoy the podcast.
0: Before we get to today's guest on Exploring Possibilities, I have some exciting news. I am excited to tell you that we have decided to launch a magazine. We've had so many people interacting with this podcast. Our audience grows every week. And lots and lots of great people out there, both to serve in our community and practitioners and authors and coaches and people that we've been meeting on the show. So it's time for us to bring everybody together and have some fun. This magazine is going to debut in March. We will have quite a few regular columnists as well as different features each time. So I hope you will subscribe and take part in that with us. You can do that absolutely free. Come to journeyofpossibilities.com and get your subscription. All right, on to today's guest. Joining us today is Justina Page. She is the executive producer and founder of Amos House of Faith. She is the author of Circle of Fire. She is a lyricist and a budding actress. So we have plenty to chat about today. Welcome, Justina. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I hardly know where to start. You have quite a bit to talk about. I guess as much as you may feel like this is repetitive for you to tell your story, I'd love for you to just kind of share with us your life-changing transformation and what brought you to what you're doing now.
2: Absolutely. Um, My journey began on March seventh, nineteen 1999, and it was a very unfortunate incident. That's when my husband, myself, and our six sons awoke To a four alarm house fire. When I woke up, the whole house was in total flourishing. Um, I don't know what they're they're trying to display in the Hollywood movies, but it's complete darkness. Things were popping. TVs were exploding. It was surreal and horrific. My husband, he did his best um, to get me out. Actually, he threw me out first because I was near him. I was a homeschool mom at the time and I knew the rules and I had taken my six children who at that time were the oldest was nine and the youngest were twin boys, which were 22 months. And I had taken my children to the fire museum. We had made a fire safety plan and all the cute things you do, never thinking that you're actually going to have to use this information. Yeah. So basically, I knew the rules. I knew not to re-enter a house once out. But I had two 22-month twin sons who could not follow a fire safety plan. So I jumped back in the window. And unfortunately for me, as I was trying to get across the master bedroom to the adjoined uh, nursery, I had a fire, um, a bookshelf fall on me and trap me. And that's how I sustained um, third-degree burns over 55% of my body. I literally lay there with my skin just falling off. Meanwhile, my oldest son, the two older boys got their two younger brothers, one of them having autism, and went to the point, and my husband was able to get them out, and mercifully they only had, well, two of them only had first and second degree burns. So all of them were injured as well as four as those boys. My husband, I could hear his voice fading in. He re-entered again, and me, mind you, my husband is the one pulling everyone out. He throws me out again, and I mean just literally throws me out the window again because he's desperate. He's trying to get all of his family out. He, um, The fire was so bad that he had to run completely around the house to the backyard of the neighbor behind us, jump over that fence and over our fence just to get to the nursery to try to get the twins. He pulled out uh, my second-born twin, Benjamin, who at that time was really bad off. He had facial burns, neck burns, arm burns. He had opened his mouth and hollered, so he had internal injuries. And it was it was very, very bad. And before he was able to go in again, the house caved in while our youngest was in there. Um, Amos, our twin son, we lost him on sight.
0: I can't even... I can't even imagine. I'm listening to all of this story, and there's a million questions I could ask you just about what you've shared so far. You're right. People, we do all this preparation, and we never think we're going to be in a fire. What was going through your mind when you, how long did it take you to even realize, since it wasn't what your Hollywood shows us to look for, how long did it take you from when you woke up until you realized what was going on, that your house was on fire?
2: Split second. The heat was like an inferno. I I really don't even know how to describe the heat. The heat itself can make your skin burn. Wow. Just heat, not even direct fire. I knew immediately that something was very very wrong. The fire, things were popping like TVs and appliances. It was it was in full flourish. And my understanding is that the carbon monoxide must have knocked us out when the fire initially started, and something woke me up. Because I was the one who woke up first and I hit my husband in the head and woke him up and just screamed, the house is on fire. Um, it was split second.
0: Wow. Well, at that time, when all of this happened, because I do know that this has been a very spiritual experience for you. Were you a very spiritual person before this happened?
2: Absolutely. I was a Christian. I am a Christian. <laughs> and I plan to continue being a Christian. <laughs> but yes, I was. And uh, honestly... I had I was talking with a friend, a real good friend of mine, and I was talking about my life. My life was so good. I mean, my husband, he was a senior electrical engineer at a Holland-based engineering firm. I was able to stay at home. I didn't have to work. I could if I wanted to, but he he told me I could stay home and I could teach the kids, which I loved. I had other homeschool children. I mean, we were we weren't living the life of the rich and famous, but we were very very comfortable had lots and lots of fun, lots of activities, all kind of things going on at the ch- church, all, all kind of things going on volunteer-wise. And I was like, of course I could praise God. Of course I could be happy. But what if something happened to me? I wonder, would I be able to stay true to my faith? And that was a question I had just asked my friend maybe three weeks before.
0: Wow. Well, and and as you shared most recently in your story— You lost a child in that fire, and there were all these injuries, and so what did that do to your faith initially? I can't even imagine trying to survive that.
2: Okay. The first thing that happened, first of all, um, I went into a coma on the way to the hospital. Uh, I was in the ambulance. They had us in ambulances two by two, and this is what they tell me. Um, I knew I was in the ambulance with one of my children, and I heard this sound, It sounded like an animal. just this, ah, you know. And when it dawned on me that this was one of my babies, I passed out. So I woke up maybe three months later. I'm intubated. I'm in excruciating pain. And I'm thinking, where is my God? What happened? Yeah. So the first thing was a bit of anger. Wasn't I good? Wasn't I doing right by people? Wasn't I treating people well? you have all these questions and then of course the why and then it moved quickly to okay who survived this thing who made it who's alive i had no idea and then it moved to fear and then to despair all short lived but it did move through those different stages
0: how was your reaction similar to your husband's or how did did he go into any kind of a coma were his injuries severe how was he doing
2: my husband was fine He had scratches, deep scratches and wounds from jumping in in and out of um, glass windows.
0: So this was a mother's journey, basically.
2: It it was. And it it was a father's journey, too, just a different journey.
0: Right. But I'm just wondering, you know, like the...
2: Mine had a lot of outward scars, a lot of outward things that people could see. But the reality was for the whole family, there were a lot of inner scars and things they had to be
0: dealt with yeah and I guess that where I said the mom's journey I guess what I'm connecting in with is what it would feel like to feel not only responsible for your own feelings through this experience but that taking care of that we women have especially in the role as mother of taking care of the feelings and the physical and the emotional and wow
2: oh my god yes
0: And where do you even start that? I mean, you you have to heal yourself first or you don't have anything to give, but yet you can't, your children can't wait while you're healing. How did that work for you?
2: Well, I'll tell you what I did. I did a lot of silent grieving for a while till I saw my children stabilize, if that makes any sense to you. Because I I am a diehard mom through and through. I mean, my children are all grown now and I'm the exact same way. Yeah. And everyone laughs at me, but I can't help it. I feel like they came to this earth because I had them. And I feel responsible for them to a certain extent, not in an unhealthy way. But um, they had to experience some very adult situations and handle it on their own. So it was quite a journey.
0: I've interacted with twins before, and this was a twin that you lost, correct?
2: Yes, it was. um, My twin boys.
0: So how did that affect the the surviving twin?
2: Well, here's the um, mixed blessing. The surviving twin, now, first of all, they told my husband that me nor him were going to make it. They gave us a zero chance of survival. Yeah. I mean, we were in bad shape. Really, really bad shape. And they actually, um, for us, the funeral for Amos, they delayed it. Two weeks because they didn't want my husband to go through the grief of burying us at three separate services.
0: Oh god. So they
2: figured within two weeks we'll be all out of there. They they just they gave us, they told my husband, it'll be a few days. We're sorry, you know, we're doing all we can do.
0: Oh my goodness.
2: Yeah. So um anyway, with Benjamin, um he Almost lost his life just so many times. He had a lung collapse, uh, just all kind of complications. He had to be traped. Um However, one of the things that happened with him mentally is that he is now mentally challenged and speech impaired. However, Ben is the happiest, and I, I want to say little boy, but he's 18, 300 and some pounds, and everybody <laughs> loves Ben. <laughs> Everybody, that's every, that's everybody's favorite. So because of his mental challenges, he couldn't really take on or understand the teasing or the looks. That meant They didn't mean anything to him. So he continued to treat you as a human, and he drew everyone in. And quite honestly, I learned a lot from Ben about how to treat people. Because I personally, being the type of mom I am, I took offense at first. Until I start watching how Ben handled the situation. (laughs) Wow, this is amazing. This supposedly mentally challenged child is making a lot of sense. And I modeled a lot of things after him, even things that I teach children in my nonprofit.
0: That's incredible. And I want to move to the nonprofit, too, but I'm just not done asking you about this story. This story is incredible. So... Your husband, is he a man of faith and has that faith changed for him and what he went through? Because you're right, he went through a lot.
2: He went through a whole, whole lot because he had to be the one to hold it all together as well as provide continually for everyone. Oh, man. Um, and I might add, I just love him to death. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what it did eventually for both of us, but just speaking for him, it really increased his faith. Uh, A lot of the newscasters and the people that interviewed him, they were just amazed at his sense of stability and his demeanor. But he's deeply rooted in his faith and his commitment to his family and his wife.
0: We go through some of these horrific experiences, some like yours, honestly, I can't imagine going through it. So sometimes when we hear people's stories, we can't imagine what they've been through and how they did it. And yet, it's amazing to me when I question about people's faith. They learn powerful lessons and their faith is always shifted by it. And every time I ask, it seems their faith is shifted for the greater. I don't meet too many people that lose their faith from these experiences. And yet something like having your child taken away seems to me like on its surface, it might be the very thing that would take many people's faith away?
2: Well, you know what? Quite honestly, on some occasions, it does. It's how you process the thing, and it's what you learn. I've learned to let tragedy be a push and not a plug for my faith. Right. And that's on any level, micro, mini, large, whatever it is, because you can always stand back on top of a situation and build again.
0: That's very powerful coming from you with the story you've just shared with us. So you you went on to heal from this and write about it and speak about it and form a nonprofit. How did all that get born out of this tragedy?
2: Well, that's a very interesting uh, journey within itself. <laughs> so um, it was really funny on the unit. I was on the unit for quite a while, and I had. The response of so many people. Now, I never did see my family, my blood relatives, or my husband's blood relatives because I was in a coma too long. I was told that they stayed like a whole month. That's a long time to be away from your job and your, you know. Yeah. And I never did wake up, so they had to go back. But I had a church family that stepped in. And so I had all these friends flying from all over the world. And that's why it's so important to treat people with kindness and with love and to help. Wherever you can, because you never know when you're going to need that back. And because of the influx of people coming in, they actually thought I was a celebrity. It was really funny. <laughs> I was getting all this VIP treatment, and you know, and I was like, "Is this normal?" You know, because I had never been in the hospital before. First of all, um, once when I was a little child, when I um dislocated an arm, but just really been in a hospital like that. So I was like, wow, they're really, really nice. And they were. They were great nurses, a great unit, but all this little special stuff. And finally, someone asked me, uh, oh, who are you? And I'm, I looked at my bracelet and I said, I'm a Page, right? And, you know, <laughs> she's like, oh, no, no, what are you? You know, and when I told her I was nobody, they had the laugh of the day. They said I needed to be on Oprah because that was incredible. They had never seen anything like that. So, I'm going somewhere with this. I saw people who didn't have one visitor, not one. And I saw them literally die, not figuratively die, for the lack of hope. Yeah. And in my heart, I was so blessed with help, so blessed with love. It was the difference between life and death. So, I said within myself, I'm going to go back up to the unit once I heal physically, once I'm more healed. Because the healing is still going on. But once I'm more healed, I will go back and I will give back and I will find that person. So it started off volunteering. And then I said to myself, wow, I begin to see these needs and I begin to fuss about, well, why isn't anyone taking care of this or taking care of that? And then I got that tap on my shoulder. What are you doing?
0: (laughs) I've had that tap on the shoulder about stuff. (laughs)
2: It's like, I'm actually just complaining like everyone else. Right. So I decided to do, um, establish the Amos House of Faith in memory of my son, which was great healing because it gave that death great purpose. And it meant that his name would never be forgotten. Forget- and so that's how I started the nonprofit.
0: And the nonprofit, so what all do you do within that scope?
2: Okay, the nonprofit, I have a program within the scope of the Amos House of Faith. First of all, our mission is to provide post-burn support for children and families affected by burn trauma. So what does that look like? On the unit, I lead the support groups for the adult survivors. I have a program called the HERO Program, which stands for Houston Emergency Responders on Leave, where we uh, provide warm-ups for them, um, different little um, needs food-wise, I cook a Thanksgiving dinner for them. Well, it started off for them and now it's for the whole unit, from the janitor to the the medical director and everything in between. I, I've taken as many as 100 plates up there um, because they. I like to see them have a home-cooked meal during that time because they're, the uh, caregivers are not going to leave their loved ones alone, so they're going to go up there. So I try to make it a really nice experience for them. Um, I have a program called the Afterburns Club, ABC Club, Hidden Secret Amos and Beans Club for the children, which we host out of the Shriners in Galveston, the Shriners in Houston, where we teach kids how to deal with teasing, staring, anger, and just different issues, how to successfully get back into society with their head up and with their, um, I don't know, their uh, faith intact. So um, those are the things that I presently have going. However, what I'm working toward is the Amos House of Faith family room where caregivers would have a place to stay when their life flighted in um, and won't be breaking HIPAA laws and things and be able to be close to their loved ones and able to afford it and not have to pay the high parking or fine food or those type of things.
0: So, for anyone listening who wonders where these great nonprofits come from when they find themselves in crisis and they realize that there's a whole network of nonprofits out there that do anything and everything to help people in crisis, this is where they come from. People like you. I'm just in awe of what you're doing.
2: Well, thank you. Um, it, it brings me great joy to be able to do it.
0: Well, and I know that because you've been in that victim role, You can come with so much compassion and understanding, which makes all the difference in the world for the people you touch. So thank you for what you're doing. Is there a website for people that would like to know more about your nonprofit?
2: Absolutely. Now, the easiest way is to go to my page, JustinaPage.com, and all of my websites branch from there. But if you want to go directly to my uh, nonprofit site, it's TheAmosHouse.org.
0: Perfect. Thank you for giving us that information. You know, you said a moment ago that you're still healing. The the healing is still going on. And it's been 16 years since the fire. Your children have grown. Tell me about how that healing has shifted over time and where you feel like you're at now. What's coming up for you now?
2: Well, I'm in a really good place now, to be honest. I see purpose. I understand things that I didn't understand before. For instance, I had this thing. I really used to think that bad things didn't happen to good people. (laughs) But I know now that it's this thing called life that just happens. And it's up to us to deal with what happens. And so I I look at life, uh, you know, with a whole different perspective now, even as a Christian. um, I'm in a good place because I'm moving. I'm full of purpose. I'm full of ideas. There's always something new for me to do, which is good. And the reason why I mentioned that I'm still healing, you just don't get over. It's not like, oh, he's gone. Okay, I understand. Thank you, God. It doesn't work that way. It's still a part of me, really, that would rather have him here. All the great things I've been able to do, I've been all over the country. I've been out internationally. I have all kinds of accolades. But if I could have my son back, The world could have all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I can understand that for sure. You are an author. You're an executive director. We're going to get to actress in a minute. That sounds like fun and lyricist. What of these skill sets did you have before? Were you already an author? Had you been an executive director before? Or did all of that get born in you as well?
2: Well, let me tell you something. I'm a mom. Go figure. (laughs)
0: That is the skill set.
2: (laughs) I have a book that I'm writing called CEO Material that's going to cover that. That's a whole nother conversation. But no, um, actually, I've always written. My husband has always written. We had no desire to publish. We lived in our bubble in our world. My husband and I would write stories for our kids, go to the church, to the sound room, and make all the sound effects, and come home and and play the uh, little cassette tapes for our kids.
0: Now that is cool.
2: Yes. So we've <laughs> always written, and and I say it all the time, he's a much better writer than I am, even though I'm the one that stepped out first and I have books out. He's really a much better writer than I am, really. And I can't wait until he shows the world his talent. We're just two different temperaments. I'm the go-getter. He's the layback, And it's usually how it is. He has more talent, more wisdom, more everything, but he's content to just have it to himself. But, um... As far as directing, I was always in leadership roles. I ran a uh, support group for homeschool mothers for Southeast Texas. I always had major events going on. I was always putting on things, always um, organizing things. So, yes, a lot of those things. So I was there and I've written songs all my life, even before I was saved. It's just what I did. But I just never sought getting them out or sharing them with the general public.
0: Well, there is certainly no grass growing under your feet, (laughs) not at all. (laughs) And it seems like this fire really was a fire of purpose for you. And you said something that I wrote down because I love it. You became so full of purpose. I think that changes everything, doesn't it? You took all those talents and you put them in, yeah, all in the same direction. Everything lights up. So tell me about acting. What sparked that one?
2: Oh, uh, this is. As usual with me, quite an interesting story. <laughs> I have um, a friend that I met. Um, actually, I went to her marriage conference. My husband and I had never went to a marriage conference before in our life. I mean, we've had what we called a very successful and loving marriage. Never saw a need. But then we thought, well, why not? Let's just go and get away. You know? Yeah. Have fun. Let's go to this resort. And oh, my God, it was so good. And it really perfected our marriage. And this young lady um, was also an author and a speaker. And we connected on so many levels, right? And so we did a book exchange and we said we'll keep up with one another. And then I think it was just a few weeks later, she called me. and She's like, look, I need someone in a movie. And you just keep coming up in my mind for this part. I was like, okay. So I came and I met with the exec, the executive team and the screenwriters. And I mean, this is big stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> whoa. You know, and then they were asking my opinions about things. And I shared. And once I finished sharing, the writer said, oh, my God, I'm sorting over and I'm writing her in, period. So that's how I got the role. And it's so very exciting. The name of the movie is called Stronger. And it's dealing with PTSD. And it's uh, about a soldier who has returned from camp and how, through faith, to deal with that problem. StrongerMovie.com, it is awesome. I cannot wait for it to come out. The writing is superb. Um, and the actors and actresses in there, I, I just pray I do it justice. I, I'm just so honored to be a part.
0: Oh, your passion and your authenticity, I'm sure, shine through. They they couldn't miss that.
2: Yeah, and and, and, and what's interesting... I'm actually playing me, myself. So I'm not playing something that is easy for me to do.
0: That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, and you've had all these experiences. I was going to say PTSD would be right up your alley. And what do you tell people that are going through? and, And I have a friend that works with people with PTSD. and. I never really realized it, but because of the things that happened to me sexually as a child, that's a form of PTSD. Anything mm-hmm. that lingers, that changes our life as a, because that's of a right. trauma is PTSD. So what do you tell people that may be stuck in some aspect of that and not feeling so hopeful or feeling like it's too overwhelming to try and get through it?
2: First of all, I tell them, never say never. Things can always change. And basically, I really try to direct them to the resources that deals with that on a very professional level. I'm a person I believe in staying in my lane. What I do professionally, okay, I'll handle that. But when you're in particularly uh, a deep stage of PTSD and you need professional help, I encourage you to go to those who deal with that professionally.
0: Right. And faith, I'm sure, plays in there, too.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: So what about your kids? Tell me about your, the family as a whole, the impact that this has had moving forward and how it's shifted their lives, what you've seen.
2: One of the things I saw early on, which a lot of my close friends com- uh, commented on, and I didn't even notice it. My friends had to point it out to me. They said, your boys never argue with each other. They're never loud. And I'm like, wow. Wow. They don't take anything for granted. They love on each other, which I, I think is, is really profound. I have two special needs kids because I had a son with um, my son, Daniel, who had autism. And then I had been, I have Ben now, who is now um, uh, intellectual disability and speech impaired. And my children from young ages took them on as if they were their own. And it, it was it's just really neat. They, it matured them early they had adult ways about them as far as caring for others as far as um realizing that things could happen so they don't they didn't have a lot of folly going on it's like most kids do if you understand what i'm right. saying yeah as far as arguing over it talk. they just shared the thing <laughs> you know it it was really 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 interesting also on on more of a negative side um uh, there were uh there are different personalities It was different things that happened. Like, um, say, for instance, my eldest, I had divvied up my twins. You know, I had six boys. Um, My help was my older boys. And so I had gave one one twin, one the other twin. Well, the other one lost his twin, he felt like he failed his responsibility. It was horrific. And then he felt God failed him. So you know what followed that? Yeah. A series of rebellion. And I mean, but he's doing fine now. But I had to see him walk through that. And basically discover God on his own. I used to think I could just give God to my kids as a package and then <laughs> they're set. Yeah. But it doesn't look like that. No, it doesn't. All of them have to discover him for themselves. So just that transition and seeing them come back to faith, and it's just beautiful. A uh, Beautiful, but it was painful and beautiful. Because I'm thinking, what's wrong with this kid? And one of the things, that's what inspired me to start the After Burns Club. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm not paying attention here. All the emphasis is on me and Benjamin because we have these outward physical scars. But everyone is affected. And sometimes those without scars could be most affected, particularly when they're dealing with survivor's guilt, like my second son, who walked up to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm a coward. I'm like, who told you you were a coward? And he said, remember the fire. And I was like, oh, my God. So I believe that children need to be talked to, you need to get out of them what's in, unless you can have you a serious bomb in the making.
0: Yeah, and it's so powerful what you said. It's the scars inside that we don't see that we forget to take care of, and those can be so dangerous.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I can see where the guilt would come in because you do, you get saved and then you almost feel guilty that you got saved and didn't suffer what the rest of your family did or that you lived and another didn't. Yeah, there's a lot there. So, so many things going through my heart and head right now about this conversation. There's just a lot that you guys have been through. And do you see any of them having their life's purpose guided by this as yours has been?
2: Honestly, no, not by this. No, they're not going the path now. they assist me. I just did a fire safety obstacle course. It's the an annual event where I teach children about fire safety. I try to be proactive about this stuff through physical activity and essay and so I had my sons. It was a basically all day event so my uh two of my sons, my tallest son, which everyone loves, he's my middle son. he's about six six he he all he's always the mascot, so he was Sparky the dog, and Joseph, my second son. He, they they took turns being Sparky to play with the kids the whole of it. So they're very um, engaging, you know. And we can talk about it, but it's definitely not their passion.
0: Well, that's great that they found a way to still share some of what they have to give with others that go through it. So I think well, that's I tell wonderful. You
2: what I hate to put this teaser out here, but the three boys are working on the. I want to do uh, the Circle of Fire part two and three. Um, two is going to be from my husband's perspective, and three is going to be from the boy's eyes. And I I promise you, those are three very different stories.
0: And good for you but for being the catalyst talk. for that. Yes.
2: Now, when it's going to come out, talk to me in 10 years. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because, again, they're not driven like I am. It's just not. They're not. But they, they said they are going to do it. So they're men of their word, thank God. They're going to do it.
0: Yeah. And we're waiting. So let him know we're waiting. Let them all know <laughs> we're waiting.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So what do you, what can you tell us about, about fire in general, about what you've learned from all of this that you would have never known before? What, you know, we probably don't know that you wish everybody knew that kind of stuff. You have anything to share?
2: Um. Always. First of all, fire is not discriminatory. It has no racial, gender, gender, age, social, economic uh, boundaries at all. And occasionally, sometimes, problems just happen. I like to tell parents, first of all, make sure you get your children, you take them to a fire museum or a fire department, and you get them acquainted with fire. I know it's scary. You don't want to deal with that. It makes you shiver, but they need to know. They need to know what can happen. They need to know what to do in case something happens. They need a fire safety plan. They need to have two points to get out of the house. You need to make sure your smoke detectors are working. And I'm an advocate for fire sprinklers as well. I'm a part of a group called Common Voices that advocates for fire sprinklers. Do whatever you can to keep your family fire safe. Also, teach your children how to treat other children with physical scars, with amputations that look slightly different. Teach them to respect and to love and to not be brutal and to not tease. Talk with your kids.
0: Since you mentioned the physical scars, we have talked a lot about the emotional scars, and that's all great information. Thank you, by the way, for passing that along about the fire safety. When it comes to the physical scars... How have you seen the self-esteem shift in everyone who was physically injured in the fire? Because people can be mean. They can stare and they can laugh and they think they're whispering about somebody. And, of course, the whole room can hear them. And people just aren't real conscientious about the feelings of others. So how has that changed for the people that were injured physically?
2: Uh, You're speaking of my family?
0: Yeah, like your self-esteem, yours and, and your children's. What have you seen from that?
2: Okay. Well, my self-esteem got set straight real quick through one touching incident. I was uh, released from the hospital. I still couldn't walk. I couldn't bathe myself. Matter of fact, I couldn't even wipe myself in the bathroom at that time. I had no use of my hands. Um, I have scars everywhere. I mean, my whole back is basically burnt off down my buttocks. It, it's it's a big burn. Wow. Um, my arms, just everywhere, right? And my husband is bathing me. And I'm thinking gosh, what in the world does this man think of me? This is the, the woman that he's pledged to love, and he's quote-unquote stuck with this. It's, it's a thought. It was all in my thoughts. And right when I was thinking that, he leaned down and kissed me on the lips, and he asked me if I knew how beautiful I was. And I, I was just so floored. And I'm like, okay, he gets it, and I'm not worried about nobody else. So I was good (laughs) from there on. Never had any other problems at all myself. Um, I have uh, Benjamin, again, who's mentally challenged. So he really can't get the full implication of teasing. He's not even getting that you're teasing or being mean. So, of course, he's not having any self-esteem issue. Ben has great self-esteem. He's really, really funny. (laughs) Really, really funny. Everybody loves Ben. And the only other son that still has outward scores is the third son, which is the one who had to deal with the teasing. Um, he had, uh, it had his ears got burned pretty badly um, and it was small portion of his body, but it was still there. And, and basically they would tease him not only about him, but about me, because when we got out of the hospital, um, I was a homeschool mother. Of course, I couldn't continue to do that. I wasn't physically able, and I wasn't emotionally able. So we had to put them in public school. When we put our kids in public school, me being the mom I am, I joined every PTO and took positions. President of one, <laughs> vice president of the other, sec, you know. So I was always there at all the schools. That was my job, running around. I wanted them to know that it was someone there that loved these Right. Yeah. But what would happen, my son would tell me, one day he told me they smile when you're there but they talk about you when you leave so um he had big problems with self esteem big issues but he's all settled down everyone's all settled down
0: gosh you know teenage years are hard enough for the the best of circumstances let alone going through all that he must be the strongest one in the family in his own way right
2: not really oh <laughs> no <laughs> not really and, and again, now remember, my children were eight, was the oldest. This was my middle son. He was only in second grade. Oh. So we're talking about elementary children.
0: Oh, my goodness. I had no idea yeah.
2: that elementary children could be so cruel. Yeah. But
0: they can. Yeah, they weren't real nice to me. I don't have fond memories of elementary school. They all look cute when I drive by the playgrounds and look at them. But that <laughs> thought that doesn't match up with the memories that I had being the little kid with glasses and whatever else they could come up with. They can be very mean. So yeah, that must have been very interesting for him. Well, your story about your husband teared me up because, you know, I think there's a part in every one of us that wants to look our best for the person we love. And when you go through an experience like that, You know, we all have something that we survive that leaves its mark on us. You know, I look in the mirror and I see I'm getting a little older every year. And, oh, where did that little interesting wrinkle come from that I didn't used to see there or whatever? And we all Uh, become self-conscious about that. And so I really related to what you were saying where you're conscious of your flaws and the person's looking at you and they're just feeling grateful and loving you. And what a difference (laughs) that can make, right? That's very healing.
2: It really is. And we're not talking about a little mark. Not only did I have him, but he had to clean it and he had to rebandage
0: it yeah. on a
2: daily basis. That's work.
0: It is. And it would be very humiliating in its own experience to be taken care of in that way by somebody that you love that you don't really want to see you that way or have to feel responsible for you in that way and yet he must be a, have been feeling so grateful every day to still have you. Yes. Wow. This is an amazing experience you've been through and I'm looking forward to the the books and to seeing you in the movie, and and what other projects are you working on? Do you have any events? I know you're in the Gulf Coast area, so are you speaking anywhere, or any workshops, or what have you got going on?
2: I have a workshop that I'm hosting um, calling called Developing Your Personal Story. It can be found on Eventbrite. It's January the 12th on a Tuesday from 9 to 2 p.m., and basically I'm helping people outline their story, and talking about how to develop your story, how to get the thing that you want to say out of your heart and onto the page. So it's a very affordable workshop, really, really fun. We have lots and lots of fun. I get great, great feedback about that. So that's an event I have coming up. Also, um, I have our fifth annual Burn Survivor Gala that's hosted by my nonprofit. It's one of our major fundraisers. It's going to be held at um, Memorial Herman uh, Hospital in the Herman Conference Room in the hospital. It'll start at 6 p.m. with a uh, silent auction, and then we'll move into the uh, actual room and have a nice sit down dinner with speakers and um, have some of the ABC Club kids do some things. And it's really, really fun. The HFD is usually present there, and we'll have the honor guard, um, start our, kick our event off. So it's really, really nice. It's a nice time for the burn survivors to dress up and feel beautiful. So I, I, I love it. I love it to death. Um, there's all kinds of ways that people can participate. They can buy a single ticket. They could be table sponsors. You could be an angel investor, or you could sponsor another burn survivor. So our, even silent auction items. So I have that coming up as well. I'll be speaking in Canada in June, and I don't have my schedule for my book signing, but February I'll have a whirlwind book signing coming up. So you can look for more details about that on my website.
0: Excellent, and that's justinapage.com? Yes. Perfect. All right. Well, I'd like to ask guests at the end of our interview for their parting thoughts. Do you have something that you'd like to share with us, a thought you'd like to leave us with?
2: Absolutely. I want to say just keep hope alive, no matter what's what you're dealing with, no matter what's going on. It is my thought and my understanding and my experience that hope is the heartbeat of survival. Without it, you're not going to make it. And with it, you'll go all the way.
0: Thank you so much. And you're a great You're a great mentor for that. You're doing it. You're living it. Thank you.
2: You're welcome.
0: Would you like to be a guest on Exploring Possibilities? Drop me a note at info at com. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.